So I always try to eat whatever food we offer to you first, just as uh, putting my own life at risk. Isaiah chapter 57, let's stand for the reading of God's word. As a matter of fact, when I was out of town in March, I was, uh, I'm just talkative today. I saw someone who, a daughter of one of my mentors in college, and he used to always do this stick on the bus route, um, you know, bus full of Chicago teenagers. Anytime we passed out candy, he would always test it to make sure it wasn't poison. And his daughter said, do you remember when my dad used to do that? I said, I still do it all the time. I said, I love, that's how much I love our church folk. I'm still making sure stuff's not poison. Isaiah chapter 57, we're going to read one verse and then dive into this wonderful subject. Isaiah chapter 57, we'll look at verse 15, and let's read this in unison, pausing at the punctuation marks. Isaiah chapter 57, verse 15, the Word of God says, For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place with him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you are high and holy, that you, the God of the universe, the God of eternity, the Almighty would care about us. You cared about us so much, you revealed yourself to us, you gave us a book, you chose a people. You sent your Son to die on the cross to pay for sins we could never pay for so that we could be redeemed and brought back into fellowship with you. And we will be eternally grateful, but I pray today that you'd help us to learn a little bit more about who you are so that we can be in even greater awe. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. What an interesting verse. For thus saith the high and lofty one. Boy, God's high and lofty. Isaiah chapter 6, we won't take time to turn to it, but Isaiah sees a vision of the Lord and he is high and lifted up and his train, his, his glory filled the temple. Isaiah was so taken back at the glorious vision of God that he said, I am undone. He could barely even stand to be in the presence of such might and glory. God reveals something else about himself. He says, for thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity. God says, I live in eternity. Eternity is where I dwell. He goes on to say, whose name is holy. And God doesn't just do holy things. He is Holy, He is separate and apart from sin. I dwell in the high and holy place, of course, a wonderful place called heaven that one day we'll all get to go through the blood of Jesus Christ and faith in Him. And then he talks about those who this high and holy one condescends to, to help those who are of a contrite and a humble spirit. This is, speaks of humility. It speaks of brokenness. And, and that God, this high and lofty one, reaches down that vast expanse between His greatness in eternity and our broken experience in this world. And He revives the spirit of the humble and revives the heart. What a beautiful picture of salvation. 
that God, who's high and holy in eternity, cared about you and I. What a beautiful verse. So much we could learn from this. But I want to focus on that phrase this morning, that inhabiteth eternity. This is the only time in your King James Bible where the word eternity is found. Now the concept of eternity is found all throughout the scripture. We see words like eternal, everlasting, forever. The Bible is a supernatural book with a particular focus on the afterlife, eternity. But this one verse here is... This one word is reserved for this one verse to point us to the God who lives in eternity. I want to preach a simple message this morning entitled, Eternal God. Eternal God. Our God is eternal. There are two ways in which you can look at the world. I want you to think about what category you would put yourself in. What category your loved ones, people you love, your friends and your family? We all know people because everybody fits in either one of these two categories. The first is a biblical worldview. Let's talk about how we look at the world. A biblical worldview accepts that the Almighty created everything for a reason, that He rules according to His Word, and He offers eternal redemption. This is the biblical worldview. Everything we experience everything we see in the world, we look outside and go, wow, God made that. He's wonderful. We look up at the night sky and see the stars and say, wow, God did that. We learn about gravity and say, yep, God decided there'd be gravity. And aren't you glad he did? Or we'd all be floating around the room right now. And uh, uh, Bill, take your seat. Sit down. No, you're floating around. <laughs> you know, there's just everybody floating around. No, God, God made the world according to certain rules. That means that through a biblical worldview, we're here for a reason. And God loved us enough that even with all of our faults and failures and sins, He offers us eternal redemption to a wonderful place called heaven. That's how a Christian sees the world. It affects everything they do. When we're dealing with people, we say, and they do something wrong, we're like, oh, that's called sin. We understand what that is. When somebody does wrong, we believe in forgiveness and redemption, and that can be made right. Every experience of our lives are viewed through the lens of there is an almighty God. He created everything for a reason according to his rules and he offers us redemption. There's another way that people look at the world today. This is a secular worldview. It's a worldview absent from God. There is no God. But if you believe there is no God that shapes everything you see. It changes how you feel about the world, how you feel about people, your entire experience here. A secular worldview states that life came from nothing. It's here for no reason and goes nowhere when it dies. There are no rules but the rules of the jungle. Survival of the fittest. The one with the biggest muscles or the biggest gun wins. The people that believe that changes how they deal with people. That's why they treat people like animals, because they believe they're an animal. Nothing special about 
you? Who do you think you are? Oh, I believe I'm a special creation of God made in his image. Someone with a secular worldview doesn't believe that. You're just a highly evolved animal. And all too often they act like animals and expect other people to act like animals. Someone with a secular worldview says, we're here for no reason. Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow you die. The greatest thing you could do in life is just to experience all that you can experience, accumulate all that you can get, have all the fun, wealth, fame, fortune, because one of these days it's all going to leave, and when you die, you go nowhere. You go from not existing to all of a sudden existing, you're here for no reason, and then you go nowhere. Well, that sounds like an enjoyable way to live life, doesn't it? Now, that's such a depressing view that most people who don't believe in God don't want to go there. There are some who are honest about, hey, this is where all this leads. But it makes most people who don't believe in God uncomfortable because we know just instinctively that there's got to be a reason we're here and that life has to matter. And so we reject that. So they try to patch together some form of morality without God and reason without God and and really, well, going into nothingness is just kind of a blessing. And they, they kind of mold and shape it. But honestly, when you strip away all the fluff and you strip away all the padding and all the, the decoration, you can really only believe one of two things. There's a God in heaven that created everything for a reason, rules according to his purposes, and offers redemption. Or you believe that life came from nothing, it's here for no reason, and it goes nowhere when it dies. I wonder which category you'd find yourself in today. Can I say I'm in category number one? I believe in God. I believe there's a biblical worldview. It's important to start with God. And when you start with God as reveals in the, in the Holy Bible, our world, our place in the world, and how the world works makes a lot of sense. We actually talked about that a little bit during during uh, Sunday school, how the Bible matches with reality. If you were to take all the religions in the world and what they purport or propose and, and how it matches up with reality, the Bible is the book that matches with reality of how things are, how things function, all the way down to incredible scientific discoveries in the Bible. People say, well, the Bible says the world's flat. No, the Catholic Church said the world's flat. Isaiah said uh, all the way back uh, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years before uh, modern science that the world was round and it hangs upon nothing. <laughs> Imagine that. You know how the world, the world is round and it hangs upon nothing. The world talks about everything from ocean waves and, and, and the cycles of, of dehydration and rainwater and, and precipitation long before man found that out. Uh, germ theory in the Bible, wash your hands under running water thousands of years before Europeans said, oh, maybe we need to wash our hands under running water. And hey, throw some soap in there too. Uh, all of these things, jet waves in the, or jet streams in the sky, thousands of years before they could be known. This book is fantastic. It is a repository of God's knowledge given to man. And we are still yet only finding out the depth of it. Well, we're going to talk about that next week. 
But for the purposes of this morning, we realize that if you start with the God of the Bible and you look through a biblical a lens, that everything starts to make sense. Things start to fall in place. You begin to understand human nature. You understand concepts like forgiveness and redemption and, and, and all of these things. And, and that, that's why, you ever notice today there's a group of people that if you've ever done anything wrong in your past, you have to be condemned? Like if they found a tweet that you made back when Twitter was brand new, or if they found a quote that you wrote 30 years ago, they can, you can lose your job. There's no room for human evolution. There's no, and I don't mean that by, by going from a frog to a monkey. I'm talking about human growth. I'm talking about people growing. There's no room for growth. There's no room for forgiveness. There's no room for, for, for redemption. Why? Because they don't have those concepts built into their worldview. If you remove God from every equation, you're left with hopeless theories and doomed philosophies. We must start with God. That's what this verse reminds us. We don't only start with God. God exists in eternity. God is before the beginning. And He's after the end. And so I want to give you some thoughts today and the time we have left, I want to give you three simple thoughts, and then we'll go eat some coffee and biscotti. Amen. Number one, eternity. Eternity is the absence of time. So how do we define eternity? Eternity is a realm, it's a place, it's a, it's a way of existing in which there is no beginning and there is no end. This is hard for us to understand because we are creatures, we're finite creatures kind of pegged to time on an earthly timeline. Uh, but let me show you Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. Look there real quick. Genesis chapter 1. And we'll look, use our Bibles here to look at some things. Genesis chapter 1. Time seems to begin with the creation of the heaven and the earth. Genesis Chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. The beginning of what? Well, the beginning of, of the earth, the beginning of the universe, but I think also in the beginning of our calculation of time. You've got to understand, time is a gift that God gave to us. God doesn't need time. He doesn't exist in time. God never checks his, his watch. He doesn't have alarms going off. He exists outside of time. Time is something for you and I. Matter of fact, if you read Genesis chapter 1, our concept of time is based on the movement of celestial bodies, our movement around the sun, the earth's movement around the sun, the moon's movement, all of these things where we get this concept of time. Uh, time literally, in many ways, began with the creation of the universe in John chapter, excuse me, in Genesis chapter 1. Verse 1, so literally it was the beginning. In the beginning, God. Well, where'd God come from? He's always been. He lives in eternity. Before the beginning, there was God. After the end, there is God. But God, who eternally exists, said, I'm going to make a universe, I'm going to, I'm going to make a world, I'm going to fill it with people. That was the beginning now, the first instance of the word time is found in Genesis chapter 4. Look at Genesis chapter 4. This is the word, the first word time is used in the Bible. 
Genesis chapter 4 and verse 3, the Bible makes an interesting statement. And in the process of time, it came to pass. It goes on to say that Cain brought the fruit of the ground and an offering unto the Lord. We don't know how much time passed between the creation of Adam and Eve and this event in the scriptures, but we do know that it was in the process of time it came to pass. And that phrasing, I think, is very important because it reminds us that time is a process. Time has a beginning, and then there is a process, a logical process from one to the next, and time keeps moving. Once time started moving in the beginning when God created the heaven and the earth, time will keep moving until God says there is no more time. And it's a linear process, one thing after the other. The last time the word time is found is in the last chapter of the Bible, Revelation 22.10. And he said unto me, seal not the sayings of the prophecy of this book, for the time is at hand. All right, it's time for the end. So basically, we have progressed from the beginning to the end, and now we're at the end. And then time will actually exist no longer because eternity will begin again. Uh, eternity, of course, begin again is not the right phraseology there, but eternity will begin from our perspective. So we've learned that time has a beginning, time has an end, time is a process, it's linear. That's why it's so hard for us to understand eternity, because we don't experience eternity right now. We are linear beings. We experience this life in a very specific way. We are, if if earth is a timeline, if you take everything that time is and, and you place yourself in it, now you are attached to that timeline time keeps moving you move with it we have a date of our birth and then we keep moving and growing and getting older until eventually we die we have a date of our death we're pegged to this timeline we can't go back 10 years ago and relive those days why because time's linear it keeps moving forward we can't go back we can't skip a year and just skip those days and then just start experiencing things a year from now because we are pegged to the timeline and and we can only experience one moment at a time, not being able to go back to the past, not being able to jump to the future. So it's almost like if you if you picture yourself on a in, in a kayak on the stream of time, you can only go one way and you're pegged to that same place as time moves. You move along with it. So it's almost impossible for us to understand this concept of how can I understand an existence with no time? Well, the Bible tries to explain this to us. We said, number one, eternity is the absence of time. It's a realm where there is no beginning or end. Number two, God is eternal. So if you think about that timeline, if you take everything that time is from the beginning to the end... God doesn't live on the timeline. He's not pegged to a certain place. God lives above time. He lives outside of time. So it's almost like God is looking down, watching time, managing time. He can see it all from the beginning to the end or from the end to the beginning. Watch this. God can move into the future. God can move into the past. And if you really want to blow your mind, the right way to talk about it is God is already in the future, 
He's not going to be there one day. He's already there. And God is in the past today. He didn't used to be in the past. He's still there because he doesn't exist in time. Time was a gift given to mankind according to the creation of God. God doesn't exist in time. His existence is not linear. Consider this mind-blowing thought. God is in all times, all the time. Oh boy. <laughs> I'm getting a headache here. Getting a migraine starting about right there. God is in all times, all the time. Because God exists outside of time. Before time was God. After time is God. During all times, God. And if you really want to blow your mind, God is everywhere all the time. God knows everything there is to know. And God has all power that there is to have. He's omnipresent. He's omniscient. He's omnipotent. He's eternal. He's in all times, all the time. That's a very different existence than you and I have, isn't it? So here's another way to word it. God transcends all the limitations of time. So since time is God's creation, he's not beholding to the constraints of his creation. He endures forever outside of time. Whether you consider the past as far back as you can go, or whether you consider the future as far forward as you can go, God alone is discovered to be permanent and lasting. He's eternal. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 33. Is this interesting to you? Deuteronomy chapter 33. The Bible reveals this. God, of course, revealing himself to us. The best way to get to know me is to ask me questions or listen to me talk about myself. The best way to get to know God is to listen to him talk about himself. Deuteronomy chapter 33, and look at the wonderful verse 27. The eternal God. Oh, hey, wait a minute. I think God's eternal. (laughs) You know what the Bible says? The eternal God is thy refuge. Hey, that ought to blow your mind. The eternal God. Once again, remember Isaiah chapter 57, the eternal God, the high and lifty one who inhabits eternity. He reaches down to the contrite and humble. The eternal God is thy refuge. The eternal God who lives outside of time, who has all power and all knowledge says, come unto me and I will protect you. I will teach you. I will sustain you. What a God. The eternal God is thy refuge and underneath are the everlasting arms. Underneath what? Underneath who is the better question. And the answer is underneath you. That's why this verse is so beautiful. The eternal God is thy refuge. So God says, come to me and I'm going to protect you. And underneath who? Underneath you. So you come to God, he protects you and he holds you up with his everlasting arms. His arms never 
tire. Isn't that a good verse? Look at Psalm chapter 90. Psalm 90 is another verse that speaks about our eternal God. Psalm 90. And look at verse 2. Before the mountains were brought forth. You ever heard someone say, oh, that's as old as the hills. Oh, before there were hills. Before there were mountains. Before there was an earth. Or ever thou hadst formed the earth and the world. See, it's, it's saying that, once again, God's a creator. Even from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. So this is a way that we can try to understand eternity. In our mind, we have a beginning and we have an end, but you can't talk about God that way. So if you want to go back to the beginning, it's from everlasting. What? Yeah, the beginning is forever. And if you want to go to the end, it's forever. So God communicating with us is talking about, listen, I am from everlasting, I am from forever to forever. There's just no end. If, if you think about eternity as if, if there were one point in the middle and you had two arrows drawing a line going opposite directions, it just goes forever. They never meet. It just extends forever. You know, if you were to start here and two of us were to start walking around the earth, eventually we would come back together. But no, that's not the way time works. Time just extends into the the way we think about it is eternity past, from our peg in, in the timeline, eternity past just goes forever, eternity future just goes forever, and that's why the Bible talks about from everlasting to everlasting, God has no beginning and no end. And eternity is associated with God because God alone is eternal, God existed eternally before there was anything else, and God will exist for eternity after this world is gone. People say, well, wait a minute, how can, how can something just always be? And the truth is, we understand this just on a, on a very basic logical level. We understand cause and effect. So there's something, and then that makes something else. There's a parent, and then they have children. Uh, and there's, there's uh, this, and then because of this, there's that. So if you go all the way back and you keep going back, say, well, what came before? Or you keep asking, where did that come from? Where did that come from? Uh, a God, for example, a godless world, worldview says that the universe is eternal. Well, the universe is eternal, but it's going to die. So they used to say the universe is eternal. Then they thought, well, no, the universe really had a start. And they call it the Big Bang. That kind of messed up their, their thinking because the idea that the universe had a beginning agrees with Genesis chapter 1, which you, don't, you probably don't remember this, but scientists fought against the idea that the universe had a beginning because they believed the universe just always existed until they found out it didn't. And now what's really disconcerting is if you follow the... the the movement of the stars and stuff, the expansion of the universe, and stars live and die. In some ways, the universe is dying. Well, the universe has a beginning. One of these days, the universe is going to end. Well, that kind of messes up our, our thinking. So, 
Well, where'd the universe come from? They used to say it just always was. But now they'll say something like, well, matter. Matter just always exists. Well, where did matter come from? Well, it just always was. You see, that's why a secular worldview ultimately gets into faith because you can't prove that. So what sounds better? We believe that just matter always was and matter over the course of an indeterminate amount of time, unknowable amount of time, sparked life through a process of various chemicals just coming into being and then various pieces of matter just collecting and becoming different things. And we're not just talking about biological uh, evolution, we're talking about chemical evolution and, and just all kinds of things that had, would have to happen. And it just kind of showed up and then over a course of billions of years, it just kind of grew into who we are now. And, and one of these days was just going to go into nothing Is it easier to believe that or to believe that there's a God who's always been and he decided that he wanted us to be here? Philosophically, God is called the uncaused cause. Because if you keep asking where did that come from, you eventually have to end up somewhere that came from nothing. There has to be something that came from nothing. Because we all know nothing doesn't birth things. And even if you go back to try to convince nothing gives birth, well, now it's no longer nothing. And so ultimately, if you follow the logic back, there has to be something that always was and everything else that exists sprang from that. Is it easier to believe that there's a God who always has been an eternal God who wanted things to be or that some unknown thing or some matter or whatever just spontaneously became everything that is? Folks, it takes more faith to be an atheist than it does to be a Christian. It takes far less faith to believe in God than all the theories which attempt to explain Him away. i got a lot of verses here we don't have time for. Jesus is eternal. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. Hebrews 7.3, without father, without mother, without descent, having neither beginning of days nor end of life made unto the... Like unto the Son of God, abideth a priest continually. Speaking of Melchizedek, which was an Old Testament appearance of Jesus Christ. Revelation chapter 21, verse 6, And he said unto me, It is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. Revelation 22, 13, one of the last verses in the Bible. God says, I am Alpha. Alpha is the first letter of the Greek alphabet. And I am Omega. It's the last letter of the Greek alphabet. I am the beginning, I am the end, and the first and the last. So God says, any way you cut it, any illustration you want to use, I'm the first and I'm the last. I was there before there was a first, and I'll be here after there is a last. I am eternal, God says. And here's the really cool part for us. God shares His eternal nature with humanity. So eternity is the absence of time. God is eternal, but God said that once he gave us life, once he gave us conception, now we are eternal. This is unique because we have not always been. Right? Paul Chapman did not exist before Paul Chapman was conceived in his mother's womb. Don't you like it when I talk about myself in the third person? 
you didn't exist before you were conceived. But at the moment of, your, of the conception in your mother's womb, you began to be, you became a life that was its own new life. It's not just a clump of cells. It's not just a fetus. It's life that if left alone, it will become a productive human being. You know, a lot of people never even think about a, a, a baby has a separate heartbeat than its mother. Oftentimes, a baby has different blood throwing, flowing through its vein, veins than its mother. This is a separate life. And that life is a miracle, not of evolution, but of God. And at that moment, uh, I began to exist. You began to exist. We didn't exist before. But God says, once I conceived you, I breathed in you the breath of life, and now you will live forever. Same thing with Adam. God took Adam and formed out a body out of clay, and it was just an empty husk. And God breathed the breath of life in him, and Adam came a living soul, a living soul that will live forever. Do you know right now that Adam's in heaven? And he's been there all these years. And he'll never stop being. Why? Because God said, I'm eternal. And if you understand the mind of God, the reason why he created humanity was because he wanted fellowship. So God said, I'm going to take something that's never been and I'm going to give it life, but I'm going to share my eternity with this new life. And every soul that's ever been born, every human that's ever lived, they have a finite beginning and they have no end because God made us eternal. Isn't that a blessing? Ecclesiastes 3.11 says that he has set the world in their heart. The world is the Hebrew word alam, which means the concealed world. It speaks of eternity and the world to come. Basically, God said, I, I've set eternity in your heart. I've created you as eternal beings. Look at Matthew chapter 25. We'll be done. Matthew chapter 25. God shares his eternity with us. Matthew chapter 25 and verse 46, we see that there's only two options in eternity. And these shall go away into everlasting. That's another word for eternal. And these shall go into e everlasting punishment and the righteous into life eternal. Now, some people don't like this, but we didn't make the rules. God did. God said, I, I birthed you. When I, when I gave you life, I gave you a soul that's going to live forever. It will never stop existing. Your soul will exist beyond your physical body. But after you die, your soul will either go into everlasting punishment or it will go into eternal life. Only two places to go. When people die, they don't stay ghosts. They don't stay hanging around here. Uh, they, they, don't, they don't keep living in the same house they lived in, all that kind of stuff, all that hocus pocus. I'm not saying that there aren't things that people call ghosts. I'm just saying that if you've, if you've ever seen a ghost or had a house haunted, it's not a dead person, it's a demon. When people die, they go into eternity. To be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord, the Bible says. Christians immediately go into eternal life. Those who rejected Christ immediately go into everlasting punishment. But there's only one of two choices. And God has offered that I created you knowing that you were going to reject me, but I so wanted you to be 
that I'm going to create you anyway and give you the choice. And if you'll just trust me, if you'll just accept my son and his sacrifice, I'll let you come into eternal life. If you reject my son and choose to die in your sin, then you go into everlasting punishment. We'll talk about that the last week of our program. John 17, 3, And this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. You get eternal life through Jesus Christ. You get to know God through Jesus Christ. 1 John 5, 11, And this is the record that God hath given unto us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. Very simple truth. Eternity is the absence of time. It's hard for us to understand eternity, but God lives in eternity. He's not bound by the limitations of time and space. And when God created us, he shared his eternity with us. You have a finite beginning, but you have no end. And where you spend eternity after this life's over is totally dependent upon what you do with Jesus Christ. Will you believe in him as your savior? Will you reject him? My brain hurts. But I hope that this has been uh, an eye-opening situation and truths that really get our wheels turning about the bigness of our God and his grace and mercy to offer us not just eternity, but eternal life. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the truth that we've heard. I pray that you'd give us understanding into things that are far beyond our our comprehension. You are high and lofty. You inhabit eternity. But I'm thankful that you reached down through that vast distance to revive the humble in heart. Thank you for caring about us and for bringing us into your world, your existence, your eternity. I pray, Lord, if there's one listening that's not sure they're going to heaven, that today would be the day they nail that down and say, wow, I've never seen it like that. I don't want to go into eternity without Christ. I don't want to die in my sin. Everlasting punishment. I want to trust Jesus. For those who have trusted Jesus, Lord, help us to just be awed at your greatness and goodness.